G'day and welcome to the City on a Hill podcast. I'm Guy, Senior Pastor of City on a Hill, a movement of churches across Australia united around the central mission of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. Whether you're on your morning commute or sitting down with a warm cup of coffee, I hope this message fuels your faith, hope and love. And while we're here, let me encourage you to prayerfully consider supporting this ministry. You can do that by heading to cityonahill.com.au. God bless. Look forward to connecting soon. Second Peter uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 15. Uh, verse 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Saviour Jesus Christ. May the grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For in these, if, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend to always remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I remain in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as the, Lord is, as the Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is the word of, word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you too, Josh. Good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Good. So good to be with you. Uh, if you are new or visiting, my name's Nick. Get the joy of being a lead pastor of this church that God is building by His Word uh, and around this vision that we have to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Thanks so much for being with us. First time back beside the preaching stand uh, in 2024. We pray that there are no cobweb, cobwebs, but I'll do my best. Uh, we're going to dive into this passage that, that Josh read out for us so well. Uh, and as it is the first chance that I've had to, to preach this year, uh, we're going to look at this passage and, and through it, set our sights on the year ahead. I'm a man who, who loves setting sights, uh, love thinking about uh, what's to come into the future, planning, pr- plotting, praying uh, with great uh, kind of goal setting and all those kinds of things. And there's something, isn't there, about that time of year that we've just been through. Well, maybe we, we had it again this long weekend, time where, where time seems to, to slow down, particularly during Christmas and New Year's. You forget what day of the week it is. You, you kind of don't know what's happening next on your, on your kind of to-do list or calendar. Uh, you get to stop 
and reflect. There's a principle there that we forget about for the rest of the year, and that is that when you actually get to slow down, the important things start to appear to you. Uh, Growing up in the 90s, there were a few iconic movies etched into my childhood memory. Uh, One of them was the movie Speed. Does anyone remember the movie Speed? Keanu Reeves before he was in The Matrix, Sandra Bullock before The Botox. Uh, These two were the stars of Speed, and the plot line was that they were driving the bus and they had to save the bus full of passengers by speeding. And if the speedometer dropped below 80 kilometres an hour, a bomb would go off and the, bo- and the, the bus would, would blow up. Uh, well, there's something in that for us, in that plot line, uh, but in the opposite direction. God has so structured the world, human life, our experience, that when we go too fast, actually everything that matters in life gets forgotten. But he's so structured the world that we actually need to slow down and stay below a certain pace so that what he wants for us, what his heart is for us, what we know as Christians to be most important in the world actually becomes clear to us and we can finally focus on it. And so today we get the chance uh, to slow down uh, and we're going to read from this passage about what God's priorities are for you this year. Therefore, what our priority should be. And what our priority should be, not just individually, but also together as a church. Uh, so if you're not there yet, with a phone or physical copy, do join us in 2 Peter, because I'll be walking us through uh, line by line. Peter is famous for being bold and direct. Uh, and that can be a real gift to us, because he's going to be bold toward us, direct for us this morning. He even says, as Josh uh, read out for us from verse 13 or 14, he says, as long as I'm alive... This is what I'm going to keep reminding you about. It's great that he says that because it won't be long that he's no longer alive. Just after he he wrote this book, he's likely writing this book from prison in Rome in kind of the 60s AD. And he's in prison about or awaiting uh, what will eventuate in his martyrdom, his death for the faith. And so it's a fitting book that this might be one of the last things that he would tell his people, tell the church to focus on. And so let's jump in and look at the first thing Peter says. He tells us about having a faith of equal standing. Let's just read the introduction here. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And so when we read that, we might skip over it because we're so familiar with how people begin letters or books of the Bible in this case. It seems so standard, so normal. But let's just for a moment think about who it is that is penning these words because when we do so, the incredible reality that he's telling us about will will stand out from the page. This is Peter, the Peter. Peter was one of the 12, hand-selected by Jesus to be a part of his closest disciples. And Peter himself was perhaps the captain of those closest disciples. This is Peter, the fisherman, who when he first met Jesus, Jesus was on a boat with him. And Jesus said, hey, Peter, put your net down into the ocean and let's catch some fish. And Peter said, mate, we've been, we've been toiling all night. This is not happening. We are in a, a drought of fish in this area of the lake. And yet Peter 
obeys and puts his net down and he could not pull up the net. Such was the amount of fish caught in that net that it leads Peter to fall at Jesus' feet and say, Lord, get away from me. I am not worthy. I am a sinful man. This is the Peter who later, after following Jesus for a little while, Jesus turned to him and said, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. This is the Peter who was ready to go to war for Jesus. Because when the guards came to arrest him there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter is the one pulling out his dagger and he cut off a dude's ear. This is Peter who, just in the hours that followed that great, bold moment of courage, crumbled around the fireplace there as Jesus watched on. His hand-picked disciple, the rock, denied him three times. And yet this is Peter, the Peter whom Jesus would pursue after having risen from the dead, again around the fireplace, but this time over breakfast, and who forgave him and restored him and commissioned him, not just once, not just twice, but again three times. And so this is the Peter who had a uniquely personal, emotional, strong relationship with Jesus that shared in persecution and difficulty. I'm sure that shared in, in, in moments of celebration and wonder, weddings and miracles. Jesus knew Peter's family. Peter was a part of Jesus' family, essentially. And so it's incredible to read then in this little introduction. Did you see it? To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. That Peter says that you and me have a faith of equal standing with him. Now, we don't often think that, do we? We don't often think that we might be seen by God on the same level as the Apostle Peter. Because we're so used to thinking that there are levels to this thing called Christianity. Maybe you're here today and you think you're on level one. Maybe you're, you're, you're new to the faith, you're new to church, you're new to Christianity. Of course you think to yourself, well, I'm starting on level one. There are people who have been here for decades, they're probably on something like, like level 28. They've clocked the boss of sin. They've clocked the boss of being feeling insecure about praying publicly. They've, they've kind of clocked all those bosses and advanced to level 28. But that's not it. It's not as if when you finally get over those, those kind of embarrassing sins, you advance to the next level. When you finally have kind of clocked your, your 10 years of service to Jesus and you get the plaque, and now you're on level 13 or, or, or something like that. It's not as if we, we're graduating to further and further thoughts of, of how confident we are in our maturity and our godliness. No, there is one level to the Christian faith. And that one level is the same level at the foot of the cross where all of us find ourselves sinners in need of a saviour. And that one level that you are on is the one level that Peter's on, the one level that Paul's on, the one level that Billy Graham's on, the one level that John Calvin's on, the one level that that person that you looked up to when you were a kid is on, where all of us are, a faith of equal standing. Notice what Peter says about how we get to that one level. 
He says, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And so we don't achieve this level. We don't earn this level. We receive. Your standing before God is the same as Peter's because we get to trust in the same Jesus and therefore get the same righteousness that Peter got as we trust in him. Now, this is particularly encouraging to hear, I hope, at the beginning of the year. There is nothing that you are bringing into this year that puts an asterisk on your standing with God. The gospel tells us that the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary in the first place. And so you and I come to Jesus come to God with, with, with nothing in our hands, nothing to bring to the table, no amount of good works, no amount of religious observance, no amount of clocking 10 years of service uh, to the church. No, we need a righteousness outside of ourselves to be made right with God. And in Jesus, Peter's telling us, we have it. In Jesus, you are right with God. See, the only way that you and I can come to God, we say it whenever we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. We need the righteousness of Jesus. Without him, we are lost. We are fallen. We are enemies of God under his wrath. And yet with him, we are welcome. With him, we are loved. With him, we are adopted into God's family. In Jesus, we have a faith of equal standing to those who walked with Jesus, went fishing with Jesus, who hugged Jesus, who washed Jesus' feet and then had their feet washed by Jesus. Those who prayed alongside Jesus, those who were healed by Jesus. Faith of equal standing because Jesus' life is credited to us just as to them. And so Peter is reminding us of, of this great reality that should inform us as we march forward into the year ahead. He wants us to keep this reality front and centre for our lives so that it might shape our priorities. You've made it because you have Jesus' righteousness credited to you. If you're trusting in Jesus, you have arrived. You have had human life clocked for you in your place by Jesus. The most important thing that needs to happen in your year this year has already happened just so happened 2,000 years ago. You've been made right with God by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's good news, amen? So we can stop here. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk as the band comes up. Instead, Peter doesn't stop here. Peter wants us to know this reality. We've been made righteous by Jesus, and now he wants to tease out the implications of that reality that should get our energy and our attention. What is that? Let's keep reading. Let's talk about becoming like the Jesus who became like us. Verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And so Peter doesn't turn down his bold claims after the beginning. He turns them up. He's telling us that now that we are in the faith, here's what you've got to do. Here's what you should focus your energy on. 
Now, if it was me, if I was in Peter's place, my natural inclination would be to think that my priorities at any point in time in my life should be revolving around the circumstances I find myself in. The life stage, perhaps. I'm a parent. And so what I need to do while I'm a parent is I need to focus my energies on being the best kind of parent that I can be. The problem is that we bounce around from life stages all the time, don't we? The kids are going to grow up and fly the coup, and I'm going to be left with myself. Or perhaps we could think about focusing on our competencies, our skill set. We could pad, make more dot points on the resume. And so our priorities this year should be growing in how we can formulate Excel spreadsheets, how we can lead people and manage them well. I was reading a book over the holidays that talked about that we humans, we have something called fluid intelligence, which means that we're flexible, we learn new things, we make snap decisions. And our crystallized intelligence, the slow, steady accumulation of more knowledge and data and wisdom. And it turns out that I'm already over the hill. If you are an adult, you are getting dumber with your fluid intelligence. We're all getting slower, a little bit more crippled in how we can be flexible and agile. And so it turns out that competency and productivity and our own skill sets aren't an infallible thing that we should invest all our attention into because we can't control them. Well, Peter here is telling us that everything that is in us that's about Jesus will last forever. Everything that is in you that is about Jesus will endure forever. He has given us everything we need for living our life and for pursuing godliness. And so Peter here is telling us, pursue that godliness. You've got all you need. Go after being more like Jesus himself. Pursue the divine nature. Now, what does that actually look like in our lives? Well, Peter doesn't leave it there. He gets more specific. Verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Peter's just told us that we've got a faith of equal standing by the righteousness of Jesus. He tells us to focus in on what we should now pursue, having given that righteousness. And what he describes here looks like Jesus. Jesus, the one who is full of virtue or or goodness. Everything Jesus ever does is good. Jesus, the one full of knowledge, who who studied as as a boy, even born in his humanity, needed to accumulate knowledge, and yet, even by the age of 12, impressing the religious leaders there at the temple with his knowledge. Jesus, who always has infallible self-control, even when faced with great temptation, all the kingdoms of the world offered to him, remains in charge of himself. Jesus, who is steadfast, not influenced by the shifting shouts of our culture, the changing circumstances around him, Jesus, who is godly, who in himself embodies all of God's heart and God's holiness. Jesus, who shows brotherly affection by welcoming even once his enemies to become not just his friends, but his family. Jesus, who is love, who gave his life for the betterment of others. Peter is saying that we should make it our goal to grow in these things, these attributes, these traits which take on the shape of Jesus. And so rather than being driven by circumstances, rather than being driven by life stage, rather than being driven by padding the resume, what Peter describes here is what 
uh, author David Brooks, writer for the New York Times, he describes them as eulogy virtues, the things that when you're dead, the people remember about you, the important things. And he tells us actually that they don't stop at your death, they endure beyond it. They make a lasting difference. And so this is what God wants you to prioritise this year, your growth in character, your growth in who you are, the moral fibre that makes up your life, your attitudes, your decision-making. And it's quite a remarkable thing that he does. It is a good and positive thing, and we should hear it so. This year I've been listening to uh, the very historic and influential book from the 5th century. It's called City of God by... Augustine or Augustine. And the first part of this book is a takedown of Greco-Roman culture or particularly Greco-Roman mythology. And one of his points he makes is that these, these gods that the Romans made up to believe in, one of the downfalls of these gods that they constructed is that they didn't make them in a way that they actually gave them a vision for Roman moral life. And so Romans weren't ever challenged to grow personally in their character by their religious devotion or their religious life. It's proof, he says, that these gods have just been made up because they don't care about you. They don't want you to become a better person. And so he says that ultimately Romans cared more about living in a bad house than having a bad character. And we could say the same thing perhaps about our own culture that we live in today. We live in a time where things that used to be called sin are now called syndromes. We live in a very therapeutic and psychological age. And of course, there are genuine chemical imbalances and there are genuine mental health issues and they need therapy and they need help. But when that is the default assumption, that every struggle in life needs a, a physical or psychological remedy, then we miss out on the spiritual remedies that have been offered to us. See, if something is a sin, well, then you can get forgiven. But if something is a syndrome, then you have a condition. You have a disease. You have something that, yes, you might have therapy, you might have treatment, but it, it, it kind of it sticks with you. It sticks on you. It becomes who you are. And this passage puts its finger on so much source of our stress. We lack goodness. We lack self-control. We lack steadfastness. We lack virtue. We lack knowledge. And yet, praise God, Peter here is saying you can change. You can mature out of these things by growing in them. God loves you so much. He wants you to grow in the things that matter most, in what endures and what is lasting. And God's vision for our moral life, it's not as if he, when he created the world, he just kind of arbitrarily picked what would be good and what would be evil. Maybe you've seen the highlight of one of uh, Oprah Winfrey, the talk show host uh, from the, one of her uh, you know, greatest hits, greatest moments in the early 2000s. She was giving away some of her favourite things and she gave everyone in the audience uh, a little box and apparently one person in the audience would have a set of key, car keys in this box. They'd be winning a car. It turned out that every single box had car keys in it and the crowd goes nuts and yet Oprah herself went nuts. You get a car. You get a car. You get a... Everybody gets a car! Sometimes we think that God himself kind of took on the persona of Oprah Winfrey when he created the world. 
That's a sin. That's a sin. Oh, you enjoy that? It's a sin. Everybody gets a sin. You're all sinners. Just arbitrarily throwing around his judgments that he might flex his muscle and his authority. When in actual fact, the Bible tells us that the things that he calls sinful actually are sinful because they harm us. They dehumanize us. They hurt us. The things that he calls righteous are righteous because they're made for our flourishing. They actually help us be better human beings and help society around us. A lack of steadfastness hurts us. A lack of self-control harms us. A lack of character hurts us. And so we should want to grow in these things that Peter puts here before us. We should bring the same energy to growing in these character traits that we bring to other parts of our lives, our achievements, our progress, to grow in our character, to grow in Christ-likeness. And so question for you, how are you going to grow in these things in 2024? Maybe we can commit as a church in our, in our meet and greet time, in our kind of around a coffee after the service, we can commit to normalise the conversation going, not just, hey, what are, you, what, are you, what are you looking forward to in 2024? Oh, I can't wait to go to Europe. Can't, can't wait to have that trip that I've planned. Can't wait to, to kind of get that new job promotion on my way. Let's normalise. I can't wait to be a better person. I can't wait to grow in self-control. You know, one of my priorities this year, I'm going to grow in steadfastness. I want to stop being shaken by, by the circumstances that, that impact me. I want to grow in godliness. I want to grow in knowledge. And so think about it. If not right now, this week, think about it. How are you going to grow in virtue, in knowledge, in godliness? In self-control, steadfastness, in brotherly affection, in, in love. That's what God wants you to prioritise this year. And Peter doesn't just leave it there. He gives us more reasons to prioritise this. He writes in verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter wants you to focus on the things that will be effective, the things that will bear fruit. Don't just be successful in things that don't ultimately matter. Put your energy in the things that last, the things that bear fruit. Over the break, I also read uh, or reread uh, a very popular book called uh, Atomic Habits in that kind of self-development section of life that we go into sometimes. And in it, the author, James Clear, he makes... Uh, the point that, that when you're trying to grow in certain things, you shouldn't just kind of add to-dos or goals to your, to your life. Rather, you should the, adopt the identity around that particular goal. And so you don't just say, hey, I want to run five kilometres every week. Rather, you say, I want to be a runner. Perhaps in Christian life, we don't just say, hey, I want to read the Bible every day. You say, hey, I want to love God's Word so much that I end up reading the Bible every day. It should be about who we are. That's a similar concept that, or a resource, I guess, that the Bible gives to us in thinking about our relationship with God. He doesn't mainly give us a series of to-dos. He gives us a person, Jesus. Someone to look to, shape our life around, find our identity in, and then point our priorities toward becoming like. We heard it last year in our vine trellis in Crozier. If you abide in me, you will bear 
much fruit, Jesus says. Abiding in Jesus is the fruitful and effective life because it helps us become more like Jesus. That's worth clarifying here how our first two points here aren't contradictory but complementary. All people are welcome to God by faith and can be given Jesus' righteousness. And so growing in character isn't something that we do to make us right with God. Rather, as Peter says, it, it protects us from losing our faith. He says it in verse 9 and 10, Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Dallas Willard once said, Grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. And so we should put in effort to grow. Not to win God's approval, but because in Jesus we already have it. Not to get cleansed, but because we've already been cleansed. And so this is what our church is committed to helping you with this year. We exist to help you know Jesus and make Jesus known. That includes becoming like Jesus in our moral character, in who we are. Now, each year, uh, as a lead pastor with support of the team, I, I, I kind of pray and plot out what, you know, what's going to be our, our, our big focus. What's the, what's the next step for our church in our maturing together? And you might remember a few years ago, 2022, we were coming out of COVID, had the tagline, we need to make the church become our church. We were scattered for so long, and finally we could come back together. The emphasis that year was about community. And then last year, the, it, it took on kind of the next step, which was now that we kind of know each other, we love each other, we're, we're back together. Let's start thinking not just about community, but about contribution, that we might be a part of our church together, serving one another. Praise God, last year we saw 175 people start to volunteer in the life of our church. Well, this year, the next step is, is not only to, to love each other, be committed to one another, not only to, to serve each other, but rather we want to encourage you this year to take the next step in your own walk with Jesus, not just attend, not just serve, but to be equipped to help other people. So we have a leadership development emphasis this year. We want to help you to be a leader in your home, in your school, at your workplace, in your networks, in our church. Someone who bears fruit, as Peter says, in the lives of others. Now that starts with character. Our path to effectiveness is becoming like the most effective human who ever lived, Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you, or perhaps it might be challenge you, some of you have been with our church for a long time, months, maybe even years, and yet our church is still on maybe with you. You're on, you're off, you're in, you're out. You, you, you've been here for so long, it's weird that you still feel new. Let me encourage you to step in to the relational life of our church. Put yourself out there in a way that you get to know others and others get to know you. Open up your life. As Peter talks about brotherly affection, open up your life to people whom God says about you. They are your brothers and your sisters. We'd love to have you in a deeper way 
in the community life of our church. And for others of us, you're already in. You are part of the furniture here at our church. We praise God for you. We, we love you and love having you here. But for you, the encouragement is hey, it's, it's time to step up. That You should be leading amongst us. God wants to use you to help you bear fruit and be effective in the lives of others in our church. And you need to respond. And so this year, there are going to be plenty of places and plenty of ways for all of us to grow. If you need a mentor, we want to help you find a mentor. If you want to grow in knowledge and application of the gospel to your life, we've got this new equip program. We'd love you to be a part of it. If you want to lead, of course, we have processes to make sure that's the best thing for you, but there are opportunities in gospel communities, in city kids, all across the life of our church. If you want to dedicate a deep dive to think about, hey, I could, I could make a habit of this, leading in ministry. Maybe you need to think about the MTS apprenticeship. But God wants you to grow this year. We want you to grow this year in your faith, and it's time to take those steps toward growth. How are you going to grow in godliness this year? Perhaps we avoid thinking about how we might change in these ways because it's complex, because it's slow and hard. But let me just break it down for you. Three quick things for how, for how to grow. First is, like I said at the top, reflection. We need to slow down our pace of life to add moments of reflection into our life so that we can actually pause and think about the decisions you're making, where you're going. Is what's on your calendar next week really what you are passionate about and what you should be doing? Reflection. And when we start reflecting, that's going to lead, we're Christian people, to repentance. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said the Christian life is one of a lifestyle of repentance. We don't repent our way into the kingdom and then say, see you later, repentance, I'm not turning around ever again. No, we are constantly turning around. That's what repentance is. We're going the wrong way. We need to turn around. And so character starts with noticing that we're not yet steadfast. We're not yet virtuous. We're not yet where we want to be. And we repent of it. We repent because we know grace is always there. Forgiveness will always be the friend that meets us in our repentance you have faith of equal standing with Peter. Unless you have denied Jesus three times in his physical presence, you have not descended yet to the depths which he was forgiven out of. And then reflection, repentance, and finally, throw yourself in to the relational life of our church that we can process as iron sharpens iron and grow in character together. Finally, we need power to change. And so let's wrap up just by noticing how Peter compels us and motivates us to think about growing in these things. Let's land the plane with the promises that power our priorities. Let me just track back briefly into the middle of the passage that we read, verse 3, because Peter kind of plainly puts it out there for how it is that we grow towards the things that he then later lists. He says this in verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. He tells us that God's precious 
and very great promises are there to help us become more like Jesus. And so as we move forward to, into the rest of, of 2024, personally and together, the power that we need to become who Peter puts forth as who we should long to become and grow in, the power for that, the fuel, the petrol, the strength, comes from the gospel itself. We don't need 17 how-to tips. We don't need the, the self-development section of the bookstore. We need the gospel itself and the precious and very great promises that God gives us in his word to compel us. In other words, thinking more about what Jesus has done for you is like taking a, a spiritual energy supplement to power us forward into who he is calling us to be. Now, often our thoughts are, are kind of full of, if only my circumstances would change. If only I could finally become an empty nester and the kids could move out and I would have all this time of reflection and slowness and the pace of life, then I can finally become who I want to be. If only I could graduate to that particular salary bracket, then I would have enough financial independence that, that then I can invest in the things that I want to invest in and free myself and work a little bit less. And, and if only I can set up my life in a way where then I can grow. And the reality is that as while we're talking about all those things and stressing about all those things, God uses the imperfect circumstances we're in to change us. And so the Christian life, the goal should not be about getting ourselves out of the circumstances we're in. The goal is getting Jesus in to the circumstances we are in and seeing his presence, knowing his power, reflected on his promises in the midst of the imperfect circumstances we find ourselves in. God uses all things, even the mundane, even the frustrating, even the suffering, perhaps especially the suffering, to change and transform us. And he does it by reminding us of his promises. When we're feeling claustrophobic in the midst of cost of living pressures, we read, how much more? your heavenly father who knows what his children need. When we're in the midst of the pace and burdened with the pressure of life, God says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When we're riddled with guilt and shame, because we're not this person that Peter's calling us to be, we read his promise, as far as the east is from the west. So far have I removed your transgression from me. When we're uncertain about what lies just around the corner of our future, how are our kids going to be? What's, it, what's, what's, what's my life going to look like? God says, do not fear. I have overcome the world. Promises. God changes our lives, our very being, by his promises. Every one of them for us is as sure as Jesus has lived again, risen again. And so there's hope for all of us. Your character can change. My character, our lives can change. We can become more like Jesus by reminding ourselves and being holding fast to God's promises. When you remind yourself of who Jesus has been for you, you, you become like him. And so let's resolve to do more and more of that today. I'm going to pray for us uh, and I'm going to pray that we might have the power that Peter says here, power to change, power to grow, power to become more like Jesus, power to 
remember the incredible grace that you and I have an equal, a faith of equal standing with this Peter and with all of God's saints. Power to, to step into the lived experience of that righteousness by living out the character of Jesus even in our daily lives and power that we might be pushed forward by God's promises. Now, I'm going I'm to ask us, let's stand together as I pray. And as we stand, let me encourage you to put yourself in a posture that reminds you that you are here to receive God's power for you. Church is a great blessing for us because it is one of those concentrated moments in our week that gives us minds upon Christ, minds upon God's promises that we might be empowered for our week ahead. Let's think right now, not just to be empowered for this week ahead, but empowered for our year together. I'm going to put my hands out. You can do the same. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you for your incredible grace to us in Jesus. We praise you for the reality that all that Peter knew of you, the closeness and intimacy that Peter had with Christ himself, Lord, that in Jesus, you credit us with a righteousness that gives us a faith of equal standing. And so, Lord, there is nothing in us that keeps us from being washed, from being called righteous, from being made pure, from being cleansed by you. And so, Lord, we come before you and, and, and we just offer our life afresh to you today. We lament and repent of the ways that we do not at all embody virtue, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. And yet we come before you confident that you want to grow us in these things because you want us to grow into the image of him who is the head of our life, the head of our church, Jesus. Lord, help us become more like Jesus. Help us abide in Jesus that we might bear fruit. Help us have Christ and him crucified at the center of our lives, not on the periphery, not something that we get to in our downtime, but the very thing at the center that drives everything else in our life, Lord, may Jesus, you be there. And may in being at the center of our life, you shape us and use all things in our lives to become more like you. Lord, we open up ourselves to you afresh. Give us this week creativity, thoughts about how we might be able to structure our lives in a way that we can prioritize becoming the people that you're calling us to be. Make us these people. Make us more like Jesus. And would you do it released from guilt, released from shame, released from burden, but rather powered by your promises, powered by the freedom that we have in Jesus. Bless us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray. Make us effective. Bear fruit in us by the power that raised Jesus from the dead. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen.